There is something about seeing performative violence on stage that has captivated audiences since the very first plays some 2,500 years ago. But the dramatic actions taken either on stage or on screen obviously can't be real, right? I mean, obviously most plays don't end in a real murder, but what about the rest? Just how much of what we watch is pretend? Also, I do apologize for the delay of the episode. I have been gravely ill, as you can no doubt hear, and without power, which has been a blast. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast, a show that acknowledges no one is always an expert by dispelling misconceptions with real experts. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie. My guests today are Brittany Holdall Donahue and Jay Oliver Donahue. This husband and wife combo are the founders of Argent Combat, a training center for some of the coolest and yet most misunderstood of skills, stage combat. The three of us are pretty open during the interview about what nerds we are, but how awesome is it that you can go to a place and learn sword fighting, knife play, and unarmed combat without actually hurting your partner? And that's a theme you'll notice throughout the episode. This practice can give you so much more than a showy new trick. It can help you in a swath of other ways, like communication with those close to you, a better understanding of yourself, and so much more. I hope you'll all stick around for one of the most fun recording sessions I've had to date with two absolutely incredible people. Let's get, kind of, violent. Welcome to the show, Brittany and Oliver of Argent Combat. Hello, friends. How's it going? <laughs> ahoy, ahoy. How's it go? It's great to have you both on the show. I am so excited for this interview, but let me give you a moment to introduce yourselves for the audience. Uh, sure. So, hey, friends. Uh, my name is Brittany Holdall Donahue, and I'm the co-founder and executive director of Argent Combat. We're a fully based organization of professionals students, enthusiasts of stage combat and theatrical violence. And with me is my partner in life and also my partner in Argent Combat, uh, Jay Oliver Donahue. <laughs> yeah, that's me. I'm Oliver. Um, uh, we've, uh, Brittany and I have known each other for a long time. We have uh, been uh, together for a long time. We've been married for a year-ish now as of this recording on uh, the 6th of October. Uh, we're just coming up on our first anniversary, but uh, yeah, we uh, we we are performers and theater people and sword fighters and uh, big into the world of pretending to inflict violence on other people, and uh, the, all of the myriad ways we can do that safely and dramatically and interestingly and emotionally and evocatively and all those good all those good words for audiences. Of course, and I love how casual it is that you're like, oh, you know, sword fighters and theater people, and especially the phrase like theatrical violence. Oh, well, when you tell people you're a sword fighter, it's like, oh, it was, it was just like, but when you have to like put on, put on, you know, a, a shirt and a tie and like be a professional. Yes, I, I uh, choreograph theatrical violence. It's very, it like, it polishes it up a little bit. It's that, it's that, it's that class. No, I'm, a, I'm just a sword fighter. I hang out in theaters with stuff and, and I pretend to stab people. 
Oh no no no! I purvey I purvey find theatrical violence. Yeah, it's like there's two font options. One of them is that gilded gold that says like theatrical violence, and the other is the Halloween blood spatter that says like theatrical violence. It's very much like a Castlevania aesthetic of like theatrical violence, where it's just like yes, this is horrific, but also very pretty. What we do. Um, <laughs> it is and congratulations on you know coming up on a year anniversary how did the two of you meet uh, oddly enough in sword fighting class um <laughs> Rit went to temple university and at temple for the last ooh, i don't know 15 ish years i guess it's been uh they've on their staff they have a professor uh who teaches stage combat there his name is ian rose and he's a fight master in the society of american fight directors the the biggest organization in the states and he's also uh, uh big ups a big uh, uh fight master in the in fight directors canada which is the biggest organization uh of our neighbors to the north uh and he's my great mentor when i got into philadelphia when i got back to philadelphia after i went to school um i fell in with ian because he was the only one of the only teachers who was teaching privately most most folks have a university gig and they will teach at university to university students but ian taught privately and uh he and i fell in together and then once once you hang out with somebody for a while, once you go to their classes for a while and, you know, sometimes they need an assistant. It's like, what are you doing? You want to come assist me at this at this thing that I'm doing? And after and so I was his regular assistant at the time and Britt took his class at Temple and I was assisting in his class at Temple. And uh, that's how we met to begin with. Um, the story is a little more comical than that, because uh, as Britt will no doubt tell you that she was very much under the impression that I didn't like her to begin with. You did not. <laughs> okay. You didn't. I don't think you did. I mean, I try to have like a kind of detachment from everybody. And you did miss the first couple of classes for completely reasonable reasons. But in my defense, my mom had breast cancer. So, like, you know, I had some stuff going on. Yeah. And that's totally fair. And, you know, but we met and I was like, oh, hello. You're the, oh, it's great. Okay. And, then I then it was like oh he doesn't like me does he and then we became friends and then years and years later not years and years but a couple of years later we wound up getting together uh through various you know hooks and crooks uh and we got together and it was like oh no this is great right this is yeah this makes a lot of sense let's just keep doing this what are you doing the rest of your life great let's do that because uh I was uh we had been we had been together for a couple of years and I was ring shopping at the end of 2019, uh and we can all guess that how that went for a little while there, uh so everything kind of got put on pause and then when the world didn't stop ending it was like all right well what are we what are we waiting for let's just do the thing it'll be great. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I... I was wondering what the chicken and egg situation was in there where I'm like, do you guys meet sword fighting, which is like a interesting way to meet or do you meet and then you're like. Hey, you know what's a fun couple activity? Stabbing each other. <laughs> uh, that is actually a very fun couple activity. It is one of those things that, um, again, one of the plans before the world ended, um, as we when we started putting things together. I don't want to say commercially, but when we like when we when we started a business and decided to, and that was the end of twenty eighteen ish. So we had a year. About, one of yeah. the one of the things we did want to branch out into is like usually there are there are people who will. The very talented choreographers, very talented teachers who will teach 
couples getting married how to dance and so they have their first dance gets choreographed and it's like well you're gonna have a fight at some point in your marriage you might as well do it to begin with with swords because that could be fun so yeah couples couples sword fighting is it's it is a fun couple activity because yeah, it's a fight I, that somebody wins i and i guess that's a really good segue into like how i got into stage combat and how i wound up meeting oliver was um I feel like there are two fields of folks that get interested in stage combat. Field one is folks that are like, I have a sword in my hand and I feel as though I can emote and express myself physically in a domain that makes sense to me. And that's really like affirming and empowering and like super great. That's awesome. Um, But I'm kind of in the second realm of like, I kind of just don't want to get hurt anymore or hurt my friends anymore. So that's why I'm leaning into learning how to do stage combat proactively because I got into stage combat, unfortunately, because I'd been injured during a student project before I learned what stage combat even was, Um, which is what kind of curtailed me into getting into stage combat and learning how to recreate these acts of visceral violence and those intimate violent acts without actually hurting anybody because you know the the long and short of it is about stage combat is we do these things and they have narrative clarity and they are beautiful to look at and terrifying to look at but we have to do them like once nightly and then twice on Saturdays you know we got to like get down and get back up again, especially because Oliver and I are East Coasters. So we're doing live theater. That's kind of where our focus is. So, you know, I learned that uh, stage combat was an elective at Temple University. I studied under Ian Rose, our fight master. Um, Met Oliver when he was under his apprenticeship with Ian. And um, I was very thoroughly convinced that Oliver hated me, uh, especially because I was joining the class two weeks late because I wasn't sure if I needed to drop out of college courses for a while to make sure that my mom was okay. Um, so, you know, it, it was kind of a whole thing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, it, it's been like a, a really cool thing in that stage combat is kind of a contronym because it's not combative at all. It's more of a communicative and collaborative art as opposed to an actual combative art like it's a lot of the movements that we are inspired by come from martial arts but in the long run of it i i argue that it's more prestidigitation and sleight of hand and collaboration and communication than it is actually attacking somebody which i think is kind of the big message that we really want to get there is that like this is a communicative tool. If you want to have a first fight for your wedding, then yeah, you know, if it's a good way for you to express yourselves in a very positive way, um, that's very euphoric and um, freeing, then heck yeah, go for it. (laughs) Well, it it kind of addresses the thing that, you know, I I make the joke where I'm like, "You you guys are sword fighting. But stage combat has a lot more than just like just swords. It's everything on stage, right? Yeah, it's um swordplay takes up a lot less of my time than I wish that it did. Um, because I really like swordplay. 
but most of what you do as a as a fight director, right? That when you work in the theater, the term we like to use is a fight director or a fight choreographer. Um, as as a fight director on the stage, I get called in to do shoves and falls and slaps and grabs and just like just rough and tussle kind of stuff because uh, that's you're gonna put that in in everything. Like you're gonna get period pieces with swordplay in it. You know, Shakespeare's obviously going to be the biggest thing that you do on a regular basis, right? All all of the good classics. Everybody wants to do Romeo and Juliet, and they forget that Act One, Scene One has a big sword fight in it. So then you get you get called in for that, but it's like, oh, it's this wonderful play about. Oh wait, yeah, let's get. We need somebody to do all these sword fights because this play is full of sword fights. But for the most part, yeah, I get called in a lot to just do just a little, the littlest, tiniest stuff. Because the littlest, tiniest stuff, when you do it incorrectly, is intensely dangerous. Um, I know there are plenty of there are plenty of actors who have been slapped in the face because oh you just oh it's just pop you just get slapped in the face and it's great, and then your head has so many delicate things in it that can just break and they don't get fixed. So there's nothing very simple about a slap, and like so, my three tenants when I think about stage combat is safety is safety is one, obviously it's, if not, if it's not worth doing, if you, it's not, if you can't do it safely, it's not worth doing because if you can't do it over and over and over again, you're going to break and that's, that's just not going to work. And then the, the, the second tenant is historical accuracy. That's a lot of swordplay stuff. We have all of these treaties of all the ways people fought over the years, all the different styles of combat. So we have all this stuff to draw from. And then the third tenant is it's got to look cool. Right, because this is this is a discipline that people are looking at, and it's and and reacting to. So if it doesn't look cool, why why are you doing it? And one of the things is real combat on stage, real violence, like someone being slapped or someone being punched or being pushed and falling down, doesn't look good because it it's real and it's not theatrical. Because if if an actor slaps another actor over and over and over again. Just like all of your lot dialogue, you know that the moment is coming. So when you see their hand rear up, you're going to flinch because you're a person and you're about to get hit in the face. And that doesn't look right in the theater of it, in the characterness of it. So when we do a slap on stage, when the person who is delivering the slap rears their hand up, the person receiving the slap looks up at it and has this moment of, oh no, I'm about to be hit in the face. And then they're not actually hit in the face. But it looks like they are, and it sounds like they are, and they perform like they have been. So the audience goes, "Oh my god, you just, they just, oh that was, oh that was so real." But it's not real. Real is dangerous. Real is, like, frankly, real combat on stage is assault, and that's not a good thing to have. So we don't so... do real; we do stage. But it's the truth of the moment comes out. If I can piggyback off that. Um... We're very adamant against actual combat on stage because it's not stage combat. It has no nuances of theatrical violence. It does not support the performers who are workers. Um, You know, it's, to put things in perspective, if I were to move what we do as theatrical performers into the corporate spectrum. If there was a news story that broke of a manager 
advocating for one employee to slap another employee, let's say at a bank, headlines immediately. Um, that's abuse. That is assault and battery. But in our realm, that happens entirely too frequently where a director says, yeah, just hit them to make them feel something. Make it real. Um, but the thing is, what we do is when it comes to stage combat, we are endowing these dangerous situations without coming, like causing harm to ourselves, but still endowing that sense of fear and danger and intimacy and immediacy to these situations in a safe space, which makes them easy to perform over and over and over again. And it's still intimate. There's still that immediacy, but we're not actually harming each other. Yeah, so actors get to uh, explore all those darker, all those creepier emotions, all those all those choices that you can make to hurt somebody without hurting people, like you know, because they're an actor. Yeah, like it. It's a thing that just boggles my mind constantly. Of, oh well, they're. They're artists, they gotta suffer for their art. And our advocacy is, no, we don't gotta suffer for our art. Our art is our job. Nobody should be punished for doing what they do well, you know? So that that's the thing where our amps are up to 11 on this one. <laughs> you know, um, we're, we're very strong advocates for, no, if you're an artist, that is your workspace. If art is your work, that is your work. So all these different cases of, especially contact slaps, because that's what got me into stage combat in the first place. Um, granted, it was a student project and we didn't know any better, but I was abused on set. Um, and uh, I do have the physical repercussions and consequences of experiencing that. Um, but sorry, it, it's hard to articulate sometimes. Where it's like, how do I tell you not to punch your coworker? In what world, like what dystopian world are we living in where I have to tell you not to punch your friend? Um, and that's what we have to do constantly. That's our job um, is just telling you, don't punch your friend just to feel something like go to therapy. What is wrong with you? <laughs> um, like you can be a method actor. Sure. But to be a method actor, that means you hang up your hat at the end of the day, like pull a Lawrence Olivier move in a world of folks of Dustin Hoffman's and that, oh, I, don't get me started. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I just like, I, my, my sight just went like blank with rage of like, don't call yourself a method actor to excuse abuse on set. Like that's your job. Don't punch your coworkers. What is wrong with you? <laughs> well, like you said, there is, you know, a very artful way of, you know, portraying like, a big fight on stage because two men like grabbing each other you know like on the street you know you kind of grapple around or something to to have a real fight versus like on stage it's two guys holding each other unless there's like a lot of over motion i assume it kind of makes me think like how much of what we see is the criminal version of combat on stage versus the safe version of stage combat well, like it's, his... it's really it's really easy to tell. You take your program, you open it up, or if you're watching uh, if you're watching a show, you go to IMDb and you look up 
who the fight director was or who did the stunts and stuff like that. Because on, on stage, the fight director is the, the head of all of the fight stuff. In in film and TV, fights fall under the umbrella of stunts, right? So the stunt coordinator is ultimately the person in charge, right? And then, you know, if if they if they don't have one, if nobody's listed, that's a big sign. And if uh, if somebody's listed, you can look them up because most of them exist in the world, uh, in the in the organization, uh, the Society of American Fight Directors, the organization we belong to, safd.org, has a whole list of members of all the people that have, that they've educated over the years. So ideally, it's gotten and it's gotten much 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 better in the last even since I started in the business. It's gotten it's gotten much 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 better. Like most. Most theater will have a if they have stuff in it, they'll have a fight director, even if it's just like even if it's just somebody falling down, somebody getting pushed and falling down, they'll have somebody who knows how to do that come in and do that because it can be dangerous. So I would say in general, it's you're looking at the safe version of it. There are going to be some times where you're not. And if you pick, if you open your program and there's no fight director listed, that's then that's kind of a flag. That's the biggest and easiest flag to see or not see my, because it's not there. If I may interject, um, one of my other easiest flags of this was not choreographed safely. This was not supervised by a professional is um, one of the big things I tell folks, especially because a lot of our folks that come in, I feel like we have a trifecta of students that come in. We have martial artists that are interested in learning the art of stage combat. We have theatrical movement artists that are interested in learning the art of stage combat. And we have actors that want to express themselves in visceral ways and explore that movement. So that's the trifecta of our student demographic, um, just at a glance. And I feel like the folks that we struggle to convey our message to most are the martial arts students where like, well, why can't I, you know, they, they need to rewire themselves in a way to throw a punch without actually throwing a punch that has impact. You know, they have to reprogram themselves when it comes to stage combat because we're not actually causing harm. That's not to say that, that students who come from the world of martial arts want to do more martial art on stage. It's just your your brain is wired a certain way after years of study to be like oh this is what i'm going to do and you come to a stage combat class and it's like i know exactly what your brain wants you to do and you have to tell it to do exactly the opposite of what it knows how to do because instead of this one motion that's very small and very direct and lands it's got to be this big motion and then you hide what you're doing and don't actually hit somebody and this big motion at the end you have to telegraph in ways that you never would do when you're in a fight with somebody. So exactly. it's it's not so much that they're that they're problematic with it. It's just that their brains are like hard to it's their reflexes are built and now they have to think around their reflexes until they get new reflexes built. We're not like telling them that what they've learned is incorrect because they're martial artists. So what they do in the martial arts realm that is completely up to martial arts, but we are giving them a new set of tools. Um, we are giving them a new sense of muscle memory, uh, which that's always an uncomfy thing, um, especially for folks that have been studying it for years. It's just, how do I 
make my arm go this way instead of this way. Um, you know, it, and that sounds very basic on front, um, you know, just to colloquialize it, but like, it's a very big thing for a lot of martial artists that study with us. Um, but uh, what I was initially trying to convey is that a lot of our folks come from these different realms of relearning how to move and learning this very specific art of physical expression and prestidigitation in order to convey a story. What we do in the same realm that customers convey, set designers convey, scenic designers convey, directors and writers convey to a story, we do as well. So we lend our craft to narrative clarity. So it's more specific way, which sounds super niche um, because it is. So our impetus is of course, empowerment, autonomy, agency, consent, but also making sure that the story is clear so when we have a lot of martial artists come in, they're just like, okay, my goal is bring that other guy down, go fight win. And given your character, that may be correct, but our challenge is how do we tell that story to the audience? The best thing that I usually tell folks when they ask the difference between stage combat and martial arts, when they ask me personally, what I tell them is, have you ever seen, and this might be me being like super Northeast Philly gritty and seeing a lot of bar fights in my time um, and also watching a lot of CCTV footage of bar fights in my time. Have you ever witnessed one of those, an actual bar fight or CCTV footage of a bar fight? And can you tell me what happened? Who swung first? And the response that I get from folks is I couldn't tell you what happened I don't know what started what and what we do with theatrical violence is we ensure that that theatrical violence is visceral and poignant and cathartic for the audience and the performers and that it conveys the story with success that we know who swung the first punch and why um, kind of in the same way, like when it comes to musical theater, if you run out of words, you start to sing. In the same way, when it comes to theatrical violence, if you run out of words, somebody swings a punch and we all know why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> if that makes think, sense. <laughs> yeah, I think there's very much like looking at it from the opposite point of view. Anyone like me who has had friends in MMA knows the the struggle of watching a movie with them because they're like, oh, wow, that was a really sloppy punch. And you're like, yeah, man, it's supposed to be like, it's supposed yeah, to not, be. They're not good at it. Character yeah. doesn't know how to fight. Yeah. You're like, it's obvious. We're trying to like tell you like, oh, hey, look, they're throwing a punch right now and not like, oh, they snuck one in. Yeah. It's the same. Uh, you get the same thing. Doctors hate watching medical stuff. Lawyers hate watching law stuff. And it's, I'm not going to say that we hate watching fights, but it's like, mm, 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 maybe, maybe do it like, mm, mm, mm. so you always, you always have that. Oh, now I know how the sausage is made. So I assume 
uh, people who make sausages hate watching manufacture of meat products. <laughs> but but yeah, you know, once you once you know how it's done, you're looking for things, you know. Yeah. So that all kind of comes around to like this is a very you know like you said it's a very safe way to do it. It's a very cathartic way to do it. There's a lot of practice to this. Are the weapons you're using like real weapons? They're real in that they exist in the world and they are made out of matter. Um, yeah, most that's that's yeah. There, a lot of a lot of blades are made out of steel or aluminum. Aluminum's big these days. Um, as is um, it's a it's a uh, something somewhere between rubber and plastic. Like it's there's when a lot of a lot of stuff in a lot of stuff in film these days is made out of this super light material that just you can whip around really fast because it doesn't weigh anything. Um, when we work on stage, though, like like everything else in film, you can put the right sounds in later if the things that you do don't make the right sounds. On stage, it's harder to do that. So we'll use steel on stage all the time because it sounds really good. But nothing, nothing we have will ever have edges. Nothing we have will ever have points. Uh, there are a number of uh, very excellent sword makers and cutlers who make uh, stage props that uh, are 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 great pieces uh, that will last you forever. Depending on depending on who you go to, pieces that will last a very long time, pieces that'll last you forever, pieces that are more art than they are weapons. Depends on who you go to, what your, how much, what your price point is, that kind of stuff. Like what, when you're, when you're filling out a production of Musketeers, you're going to use the different, you're going to use different swords than the swords that you get for yourself because you know, a guy who makes really nice stuff and it's your birthday and you want a nice piece, right? So the difference between when you need, when you would like to have one of something and when you need to have 12 of something, it's that kind of thing. But all, anything that's made out of steel, anything that's made out of anything, never going to have an edge, never going to have a point. Um, there are plenty of people who make – we call them wall hangers, props that are designed to look good when you hang them on your wall. So over the years, before the before all the sword makers got established and got recognized across the country, you'll go into a theater and they'll be like, oh, this is our supply. And the first thing you do as, as the fight director is – you take apart all of their weapons and you're like, okay, is this going to work on stage? Is this going to be safe? Cause sometimes you'll find a sword whose blade is that thick, you know, really a big wide bladed sword. But when you take it apart, the, uh, the tang, the bit of the sword that holds the, the grip and the, you know, cross guard and all the hilt furniture to the blade itself, the tang is only like that wide. So if you hit it with anything, it's just going to snap and go flying across the room. And that's, that's a piece that will look really good on your wall. But you you can't give it to an actor and fight with it because it's dangerous. So nothing will be edged. Nothing will be sharp. That isn't to say nothing will be dangerous. But we go through stuff. We make sure we never give actors dangerous props because that's not safe. You know, you never give somebody like never give somebody a, a dangerous prop. You pretend that it's sharp, but it's not actually. Yeah, I guess the, the TLDR version is, are these swords real? Real is an interesting term because technically, yes, these were crafted by bladesmiths. The difference is more, are they intended to be hurtable? And the correct answer is, no, they're not supposed to be hurtable. And we do all of the preventative measures to make sure that these swords are real 
in essence, they are actual beautifully crafted blades, um, but they're not intended to actually do any harm. Um, what makes them intriguing and beautiful is that the performers need to endow these blades that are harmless with those essences of fear and danger and immediacy. That's how we sell it, that these blades are dangerous, but they're not black. They're not, um, they're not live rather. Yeah. Um, live is, live is the term that we usually use because things are real, but they're not live. Exactly. Like a, a live knife is a knife you cut your steak with, which you never put on stage because that's, it's it's a live it's a live knife it's terrifying yeah. somebody's gonna get somebody's gonna because i mean if you've cut a steak sometime this week or recently i mean you know how easy a good knife goes through meat this that's all that's all this is this is it's just meat it'll go through you lickety split so none of our knives have edges none of our knives have points but they look like they do and yeah. we treat them that's the other as Britt was saying you you treat it like it's live because if I pull a knife on stage on another actor in the scene that we're doing, but I don't treat it like it's live, the audience doesn't believe it. So they're not worried anymore. They're not worried for the characters. You snick out a knife and the other person goes, Oh, Oh, it's a knife. Then the audience gets a little, gets a little, they get that, they get that little fear. They get that little excitement because they're watching something dangerous, even though it's not, that's the trick. And it's the same thing. Uh, more to the point, it's the same thing when you deal with firearms, whether it's on stage or it's on stage. Dealing with firearms on stage is a is a magical dance of the people in the in the wings and backstage who are responsible for the safety. The actors who have like very specific ways that they're using them, where they're pointing them, what they're doing, what kind of a weapon, what kind of a firearm it is, what kind of round it's loaded with, whether it's a revolver or an automatic, the whole schmack. It's super highly controlled and super highly choreographed to make sure accidents don't happen because putting putting blanks on stage is that the danger level is heightened. So the say so likewise, the safety level has to be heightened. You want to put blanks on stage because you really want that. You really want to pull that trigger and see that explosion and hear that crack of a gunshot on stage and not pipe it in from your sound system, which is another way to do things or clack two boards together in the back or pop a balloon or any of the myriad ways we know to, to make a gunshot sound, but you want to put a blank firing gun on stage safety has to go up you need not just the you need not just the fight director who's building on the stuff you need a gun wrangler to do everything that firearm has to do everywhere it goes from being pulled out of the safe at the beginning of uh the getting set for the show to when they load it at the arming table to when they hand it off to the actor right before the actor walks on stage and pulls the trigger to when that actor walks back off stage immediately hands it back and that gun goes to wherever it needs to go next. And if it doesn't need to go anywhere, it goes right back in the safe until the end of the show when it gets taken out and cleaned once the thing is over. So firearms are inherently more dangerous if you're using blank firing weapons. But even if you're not using blank firing weapons, if you're using dummies, if just which is, we call a dummy just a solid thing that looks like a firearm that doesn't have any moving parts, or if it's a, uh, a non-firing replica, which might have like a trigger that moves or a hammer that moves, or if it's a rifle, it might have like a bolt you can manipulate, but the there's, there's no, you can't load it with ammunition. You can't, 
you can't actually fire anything out of it. So dummies, one solid thing, non-firing replicas, maybe some action, and then blank firing weapons. You treat all of them like they're live firearms because the danger goes up, the safety goes up, and the, nobody wants nobody wants mishaps to happen. So even if it's just a dummy, if it's a block of wood, when you're in rehearsal, when you're on the show, you still treat it like it's live. So the audience reacts like it's live, even if it doesn't do anything, if it, even if it's a painted block of wood. But you can still convey that. You can still get that. You can still get that audience reaction, but you have to buy into it. And one of the things that is about buying into it is treating it like it's live and doing all the safety stuff, even if it's just a block of wood. If, if there's a block of wood that looks like a firearm on stage, that's never, ever, ever getting pointed at anyone because you never point a firearm at anything you're not willing to destroy. It's like, you know, one of one of the one of the safety rules of gun stuff, even if it's a block of wood that just looks like a gun, you'd never point it at anything because you just you just can't because it's the danger goes up. Safety goes up. Always, always, always. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Piggybacking off that, if I can, real quick, um, a lot of folks ask us, is what we do safe? And my answer has always been, if the folks that are performing theatrical violence listen to the certified instructor and choreographer to the T on management and wrangling and choreography without any altercation, then yeah, it's going to be safe. Um, and the unfortunate thing is a lot of the tragedies that we've witnessed over the past few years have been folks not listening and not adhering to safety protocol. Yeah, Brandon uh, Lee is obviously the big, the, the classic greatest story Brandon Lee shot while making The Crow. Um, Russ. And that's, and, and Russ more recently, yeah. But if any of the if any of the safety not even just stage safety rules if any of the regular safety rules for handling firearms were followed that doesn't happen. But you cut corners and you get lazy and you don't pay attention and then bad things happen. So yeah. it's like having you know you have one person you're like this is the person that handles all of our weapons they're going to make sure they are compliant for everything we need and we have someone who's going to train you to act like they're real treat them like they're real but not be real and then you have your actors that have to like follow through on their training to like oh no it's a knife but not you know put it in someone's eye yeah it's it takes time it takes money and it's a pain in the neck but it keeps everyone safe so that's what you should do and not you know safety measure number one don't bring your own weapon to the the group yeah, that's that's the other thing is is that you'll get some time. I've never used a, a firearm that's not either built as or converted to something that can only load blanks because there there are ways that gunsmiths will do that for you, uh, and there are ways that gunsmiths will make pieces that only can load and only can fire blanks. So if you put a bullet a a round with a bullet on it into it, it just it doesn't fit because. That's it's just another safety feature that like, oh, this gun physically cannot load real ammunition. Great. Awesome. Makes things even safer. Yeah. And um, if I sorry, if I can really quick, um, I know we're kind of focused on uh, theatrical firearms right now, but that also comes 
into perspective with theatrical blades too. Um, we got a request a few years back from a film producer that was like, yeah, like I want two folks to be sword fighting and I want the swords to spark. Like I, I want them to spark. And our immediate reaction was, you don't want that because what that means is those swords, those blades have developed burrs and that blade is no longer a safe blade. It's developed burrs, which means it is now a live blade. It has a very pinpoint, like sharp edge. So that's not a safe blade anymore. Sparks, I, why do you want those? Um, Cause you don't, um, A it's, me speaking personally, aesthetically, it's cheesy as hell. Like, why do you want a bad thing? <laughs> it's like crunching up a bag of Cheetos and putting it on your grilled cheese sandwich. Like, there's nothing classy about it, okay? My dude, my guy, my sibling in the universe, like, why do you... Can you please just, like, a nice thing for once and not want this, okay? <laughs> it's my sentiment when it comes to, like, yeah, I want these two blades to mash and I want them to be sparks. Why? What are it's, you uh, missing in your life? A hug? I will uh, give you a hug. Your you your MMA friends. Your MMA friends who see a bad punch and are like, oh, that's a bad punch. That's us. You see a blade spark in a show. It's like, ooh, that's mm. somebody didn't somebody didn't do their job. Somebody didn't prep that. Didn't prep <laughs> that sword. Because oh, that that just went right back on the table after the last take, didn't it? No, nah, no. Nah. So when you when you use when you use swords, when you you know cracking metal swords into each other, they are going to develop burrs. Like it's a little, you know, the, the 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 if you think of a blade, like the edge will get just a little divot where you know pressure has hit it over and over again, and it'll it'll get just a little burr, and then when you smack it hard enough, that little burr can fly off and ignite. And that's what a that's what a spark off a blade it actually is, it's like a and that means you didn't clean your swords. That means your sword is in bad condition. So that you know, it's one of those things that whether whoever whoever's doing the props, if it's somebody from the prop department or somebody from the fight department, if there's like, oh, there's burrs on this. Oh, I you know after after the show you check it. It's like, oh, is this burr? Oh, here come the files. Let's get those files down because it's not safe anymore. Oh, but I want to see sparks flying. Oh, you want terrible things to happen. Do it in post. Do it in post. Bad Just weapons. Like... <laughs> oh my god! Like moments like that where I'm just like, oh tetanus shot, oh tetanus shot. I am so glad I got you. <laughs> oh man. Because <laughs> it, it, there, nothing. No, no, no good can come from that. It looks bad. It sounds bad. Oh Everything yeah, because it's bad. real. It's it's a real thing happening, and oh, it looks bad and it sounds bad because it's right. It's not not great. Exactly, yeah. kind of like real contact slaps. <laughs> it's like no, everything is bad about this. Why do you want this? Yeah, and I think most people don't, you know, like myself. I don't think about that when I see like a sword, you know, shoot sparks off of it. I'm not like, oh, those are pieces of metal just flying in different directions, like shrapnel. Shrapnel. It is. It's shrapnel. That's literally what it is. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's gonna change some some viewing experiences for me. <laughs> and it's and you know what everyone wants. You know why it is. It's Star Wars. 
Yeah. It's Star Wars because when two lightsabers hit each other, there's this little flare. It's like, oh yeah, that's what it is. You know, thanks George Lucas, you ruined us again. Nah, it's not true. Star Wars is great, but it's it's that it's that vibe, it's that feel of the of the of the it's the lens flare moment, right? The the moment that's so overpowering that everybody closes their eyes, and it's like I get it, I get it. But if you have it with metal swords, it means they're in disrepair. And I don't know if it's the the audio file in me, I suppose, like working in an audio medium. I love like the sound of swords, like hitting something or each other. Like that's so good. My favorite one. Tintinabulation. Tintinabulation is the word. (laughs) You know, when uh, when somebody pulls a sword out of their sheath and it goes shing, that means they have a metal chunk shoved in the sheath. And it grinds along the edge because you want that sound. You know what a sword sounds like when you pull it out of a scabbard or a sheath? It's really quiet because it's made out of leather. It's just supposed to hold it. Yeah. And if you and if it makes a sound, it's grinding <laughs> on something. But you want it. It's that thing. It's the coconut effect, right? You know, you, some radio shows for so many years used co- banged some coconuts together to sound like horses. So when you go and you see horses, it sounds wrong. Because you've been listening to coconuts your whole life, it's that kind of you want you want that cool that cool ching as the sword comes out. Nah, nah, it's, nah. Come on, guys. I <laughs> mean, like it that. sounds cool. I'm not gonna say it doesn't sound cool. I'm just gonna say it's not real. Yeah, you're like notice you don't hear that when people in leather jackets walk by. My <laughs> cool, <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> my cool leather jacket on that's covered in chains and doesn't constantly go. Shing, 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 shing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, there's so much. The audio of the fight is almost more important than the visual of the fight. Almost, almost. Yeah. It's not quite, but it's one of those things where if the sound is wrong, an audience, like audiences won't be able to tell you why things are wrong, but they'll be able to tell you that things are wrong. They won't be able to explain it, but it'll be like, oh, that doesn't feel right. That didn't look right. And, and sometimes that's audio. So getting it to sound correct is is a big trick and when you do stuff live when obviously when you do sword stuff live there's you get the ting 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 of the metal but getting getting a punch in the face to sound right getting a slap to sound right getting a a a punch in the gut to make the right kind of sound of you know the the exhalation when you go oof whatever that oof happens to be getting that just right is a trick and it's fun and so it's definitely definitely ways for audio nerds to geek out about stuff. Like I'm I'm so into that synesthesia, but also um, I'm very anti artificial intelligence for this regard because I feel like a lot of folly and things that we see visually when it comes to theatrical violence, like a lot of it probably is uncanny valley. Like if we see a haymaker delivered and the receiver of that haymaker just like immediately snaps up they don't look cool they look robotic they don't look human anymore so there's like some kind of like in tune thing within the audience's mind of like that's not a human anymore and i know that they're the protagonist but like i'm really weirded out by them and there's a reason for that so i feel like a lot of human artist as opposed to artificial intelligence artist we give that human element that is really needed when it comes to narrative clarity in this storytelling (laughs) well i think that's something that like 
it makes you immediately recognize what we'd call like a B movie. It's where mm-hmm. you're like, oh, wow, that was really bad. And it's not like, did you understand that they got punched in the face? You're like, no, it was very clear they got punched in the face. The weird way they like snapped their head back was what threw me out. <laughs> yeah, we have um, uh, one of the one of the five masters in our organizations, Kay Jenny Jones. Um, she teaches out of Cincinnati, I think. And she is she has uh, an advanced degree in biomechanics and has kind of reinvented the way we do a lot of unarmy stuff, a lot of punches and shoves and slaps and falls and stuff, because it's like, all right, here's how force affects the body, right? How can we do that without actually putting the force onto the body? And it's like, it's, this is the last 10 years, things have changed a lot and it's, and it's interesting and it's fun and it's, and it's in way in, she, she's doing things in ways like we haven't thought about before. Um, and now it's, you know, kind of it's 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 gotten the spread around. So everybody's kind of figuring their own jive. But like she has an advanced science degree because she's a big science nerd who's like, I also love theater. And this is the way this is the way the two things have meshed. And it's 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 very cool, and very interesting stuff. I mean, it's it's fascinating. So what was the point at which you guys made the decision to like you know, no longer work with Ian, you're not going to college and taking the class. Like when did Argent start? I wouldn't say uh, the decision to not work with Ian ever happened as, you know, we still work with Ian. Like it's (laughs) it's one of those things. He just, we actually, uh, we live closer to him now than I have at any point in my life before. Um, But it is, um, if you think of it in like the old style of an apprenticeship and then a journeyman, and then you know you're you're a you're a worker in your own right, an old an old kind of uh, training system rather than the scholastic way we have now. It is kind of that thing where like you know you you go and you learn from somebody who knows how to do it, and then they teach you what they can teach you, and then they say, "Great, I've taught you a bunch of stuff. Go away and learn from people who aren't me about how they do it." So. You know, you, that's one of the things like I've, I've been all over the country to workshops in Chicago and and Atlanta and uh, and in out to out to Los Angeles. And I've been up to Montreal and over to Vancouver and Albert and uh, Calgary and Edmonton and all over the place learning from everybody who's around and, you know, up and down the East Coast. East Coast stage combat is is an all over the country thing, but there's a lot on the East coast for obvious reasons. The, the, the Boston, New York, Philadelphia, DC, Baltimore spear is really big. Um, so there's just a whack of people around here. And I happen to be in the right part of the country to go learn from half dozen, dozen different people. Uh, and then the organization we belong to the society of American fight directors has uh, a teacher certification program where uh, I'm a I'm a certified teacher with this organization, and what that means is that they trust me to to convey to convey the the skill set enough that that they'll put the name of the organization behind me. It's like it's not quite a union. It's it's more like it's not quite a guild. It's 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 just an organization of just like this is the way that we do things. You do things in a way that we think is appropriate and interesting and safe. So yeah, you can you're an or, you're an instructor in our organization. And when, when you, when you're a teacher in your own right, like it's a very, and again, it's a very like old style. You go hang your sign out on the street and see who comes in to learn your particular style. So we, uh, cause a lot of times like you'll have, 
you'll like Ian Rose has gone through it numerous times. He'll have he'll have students come in and it's a very university thing too when you get students who don't live in the city that they study in. They're from other places and they come to you and they learn some stuff and then they leave. I just happened to already live in Philly, so I came and I learned some stuff and then I never left. And he was uh is very a very uh, a very wonderful thing he said to me when I when I went to go take the instructor's certification course. He's like, after you pass, I'll buy you a bus ticket anywhere you want to go. And it's just get out of my town. It's, it's all it's all in it's all in good fun, obviously. But it is like, you know, we're not competitors because like we don't teach the same nights, we don't teach the same thing at the same time. We work together and not step on each other's toes. But like, you know, there's there's always the thing. It's like, oh well, if 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 Oliver wasn't in Philly anymore, all the kids he's been teaching would be coming to me. So you know, but fortunately, we live in today, and the world is big enough for all of us. So, um, but it is. It was once I once I got out of once I passed the instructor certification. Britt and I had been together for a little while and she was like, great, you should go teach now that you're certified in the organization to teach. And I was like, great. She's like, you're really bad at organize, organize, organization, aren't you? And I said, yeah, but I'm I, good I at teaching. I you were bad at organization. It was a subtle it's, thing. It was, needed, a, it was a subtext. You needed administrative skills. So we like to. that had administrative skills and I had those. So I just so, kind of helped out. <laughs> But and then it became it became a whole thing. So like we have we have we have the the philosophy of the business business of philosophy of the organization of what we're trying to do or trying to accomplish. And Britt said it before: empowering and 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 giving performers autonomy and teaching them skills and and things like that. And it was like okay, so the the way we like to think about it is that Britt's Britt's the brain and I'm the right arm. So Brit does all the thinking and I do all the sword play, which isn't like it's, a, it's an overly simplified way, but it's 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 just a way it's it's, it's you, you go and you hang your sign out. You're like, here, you want to come learn the things that I know how to do? I would love to teach you the things I learned. I know how to do whether you're an actor, whether you're in the theater at all, whether you just are a person who thinks sword play is fun and interesting and great. But one of the things is uh, in in ye olden days. Uh, in the historical European martial arts kind of field, what you would do is if you were if you were a teacher of fence, if you were a, a sword or sword fighter or a or a or a a a teacher of defense, you you would have your school right, and it, your students would come, and then they would learn how you do it, and then they would go and they would teach the way that you do it, and that's like that's the way. This is the school of how it works, and that's fun. And why why not do that? You know, why not have like. The umbrella, like we have a, a a number of a number of folks who have been with us for a while, who have uh, been been working in Philadelphia in the theater scene for a while, who have you know learned from Ian, learned from us, learned from me, who are getting making that jump into teaching in their own right. It's like what if what if instead of you going to have to hang out your own sign, what if you use all of the connections that we've made over the years that we've been doing this thing and you just, we just keep working together. Why don't we do that? Wouldn't that be fun? And then it, then it's, then it's your own little pocket organization. And that's fun to have. Like, I don't, Ian and I agree on so many things and we have so many opinions that are, are very carefully talked about over the years, but there's some things that I do that he can't stand and that he does that I'm like, ah, I wouldn't do it like that. And that's great because it's a different aesthetic and it's a different, you make different choices because when you're an actor, there are very rarely 
bad choices. There are just choices and then different choices you can make. And it's the same kind of thing. It's just, you know, my aesthetic is one way, his aesthetic is another way, but we're still friends. We're still colleagues. We're still working together every once in a while because, you know, he'll be like, hey, you want to help me with a thing? And I'll be like, sure. And I'll just show up because it's fun. It's fun to go hang out with your dad for a while. <laughs> but it's a, uh, yeah. So sword we, dad, sword, sword dad, dad, sword dad. <laughs> so we, uh, so, you know, the organization got started with the, our, like our, our little corner of it got started. And it's like, why don't we make it as easy as we can to, give people opportunities. The opportunities that I got, like I was very, I was very fortunate that Ian Rose was in the city that I lived in and taught publicly. So I could just go hang out with him for 15 years or however long we spent together since I first met Ian Rose in what 2000. Yeah, I guess I would have, I would have met Ian in 2008 ish. So it's been about 15 years that I've known him. Like if you, if you live in Wisconsin, if you live in Milwaukee, well, Milwaukee, like it's, it's harder. It's harder. Because you don't just have folks around. But even if you live in New York, I mean, 10 years ago, there wasn't anybody teaching privately in New York. Everybody had their university job and that's it. And now people teach privately and there's more opportunity. But it's not, you know, it's there's the Society of American Fight Directors is like 3,000 people total across the whole country of what, 250 million people live in the United States of America? It's you know if if you have the if you have the ability to give people the opportunity give people the opportunity let them let let it's a fun it's a fun thing to do like it's a thing that i love it's the way my art makes sense so it's you know and i'm not going to say it's an moral imperative but it's important to me to make myself available to teach people stuff that i know because i know how to do some stuff and i like it yeah you're like i am in the point zero 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 one percent of people that not only know how to do this thing but can teach how to do this thing and yeah. so there's a bit of like legacy knowledge that you're like ooh, something i can pass on exactly and obviously ian looks at you and he's like well i know you were trained right because i'm pretty sure i know the guy who did it <laughs> it's one of those things where you can philadelphia philadelphia is the premier city in the United States of America for stage combat. And a lot of that is Ian Rose's fault because there's been a stretch especially of time small where sword, yeah, especially small sword. <laughs> and there's been a stretch of time where, where students of his both private and university have, will, will get up and they'll go to the workshops around. There's a workshop in Atlanta. There's a workshop in Chicago. There's a workshop in New York. There's a workshop in Delaware. There's a workshop in Florida, Florida. There's, there's workshops all over the country all throughout the year. Uh, at various times and there's that sometimes you'll go and you'll meet people from all over the place and then they'll give you that look you're like you're from philly aren't you you're an ian rose kid aren't you yeah it's just that you have you do that thing the way he does that thing and it's you get notorious sometimes and philadelphia has been notorious for a while for a couple of things it's this it's the feel and that's that's fun it's not like and we like we don't want to be superior. Oh, we do it this way, and this is the best way. And that's not that's not the way we like to do things. It's it's Philadelphia. It's like come in and be part of the family. And like this is the way we do things. Isn't it fun? If you don't like it, I don't care, because it's still just fun. It's the way that we work. But like, come come and have fun in this thing that we do. Yeah, and the infamous words of a uh, Jason Kelsa, <laughs> "We're from Philly. No one likes us, and we don't care." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, like it, it is a really interesting kind of um, contrary thing to me in that, like, we're from Philly, so we're gritty. We literally have a mascot named Gritty. 
if there is any major sports event, the city has to polish all of the lampposts around the entirety of the metropolis with Crisco. Whether we win or we lose, people are going to be like climbing those. Um, If we win, people are going to be turning over cars. If we lose, people are going to be turning over cars. We're just, we we have big feelings, okay? We're just real bad (laughs) at expressing them very well. So it's really hilarious to me that that, like we're, Philly is very much like a barbaric yet also wholesome city. So for us to be like a small sword empire in a way because of (laughs) Ian Rose it's hilarious to me because small sword is just so eloquent and backhanded compliments and precision and poise like that yeah. is just so funny to me <laughs> the, the small sword is a uh, uh, one of the late one of the end points of sword play where after it is you know, it doesn't really evolve into anything because of it because it's the time period where instead of bringing out a sword you're going to bring out your gun but it's it's very it's very elegant it's very tiny it's um if you if you know Fencing, foil fencing, is a derivative of, of European small sword, and it's very light and very French and very classy and 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 got very je ne sais quoi energy to it. And it's like, oh, and and we're we're very good at it here in Philadelphia. And it's it's one of those things where the styles the styles will be all over the place across the country wherever you go because we all do it in different ways but it's one of those things where it's like ah you're an ian rose kid that's an ian rose kind of small sword so it is a very uh it is a very it's a it's a fun it's a fun dumb stuff that we do because we're fun dumb nerds what i love this like we only know the big emotions i'm gonna go learn finesse with a sword (laughs) i'm gonna go learn the tiniest little bit of finesse and speak in very ridiculous french for a while just that's like the uh that's your recovery period <laughs> like i've exhausted all my big energy i need something to to bring me back down to normal person <laughs> yeah i'm done with screaming i'm gonna get fancy up in this john i <laughs> love it so obviously like people come to you you did this like you said you've known ian for 15 years you've done this a long time and you're a full-fledged professional how long does it take, like if I started tomorrow, I don't know that there's a class near me, I would absolutely take one because I'm a sword nerd, but if I, <laughs> if I started taking a class tomorrow, how long before I can be like a professional, quote unquote? Uh, it depends on what you mean by a professional, because you can be a professional performer, you can be a professional choreographer, you can be a professional teacher, and the answer to all those is exactly the same. You're a professional as soon as somebody pays you to do it, but- to to get talented to get the shtick it's the the course of study a course of study on one of one of the disciplines in your organization is 30 hours before you can take the test right and the test is just a test it's a it's a skills proficiency test you get a fun certificate if you when you pass um and what that certificate means is that the adjudicator is like yeah i could trust you in a show doing this kind of thing to be a and we all we all kind of work the same way. You start as a student, you learn how to do some stuff, you learn how to do some stuff, and then you do some stuff of your own. And then uh, somebody you know is doing a show, and you know how to do some stuff, and you kind of get in, and then you kind of like put some stuff together, and then you do it more and more and more. Um, I was choreographing on my own two or three years after I 
after I started learning how to do stuff. I wouldn't say I was as good as I am now, obviously, because this is a skill that you get better at the more that you do. But we all we all start the same way. We all start the same way. You learn some stuff, and then somebody you know is doing a thing, and you're like, I know how to do that. I could do that for you, I think, safely. Yeah, yeah. So we there is a fine line between encouraging your students and discouraging them from choreographing until they know how to not kill each other and themselves. But that's why... You know, we 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 stress if you if do if you can't do it safely, don't do it at all. So that when somebody's like, "Oh, can you do this for me?" they can be like, "No, I can't. I don't know how to do that, but I know somebody who does." So it's the same kind of thing. It's like, "Oh, you're an actor. I just want to hit you in the face." No, I'm not going to do that. You should get a person who knows how to do that safely. And it's the same thing that you get. It's you know, you get the students who won't let themselves be abused, and you get the students who won't bite off more than they can chew. But then you hang out. So, you know, a year of continual use, like I was fortunate. I went to Ian Rose's class every week, twice a week for a year. So I was just getting it all of the time. Like it's, I got my 30 hours and then 30 more hours and then 30 more hours. And then it was three months later. So it was just, you know, it's just continual, continual, continual reinforcement and figuring stuff out. And so how long from, rank amateur never picked up a sword before to choreographing a sword fight for i don't know what's a good show with a sword fight in it that doesn't have a lot of other stuff in it hamlet hamlet's got a sword fight at the end but not a whole ton of sword fights in the beginning to to choreographing to choreographing a, a fencing match in hamlet six months a year depends depends on how much time you're putting in depends on whether if you're if you're working if you're learning two hours a week it's different than if you're learning 10 hours a week we have usually we teach weekly when you teach privately because people have lives but the national stage combat workshop is three weeks and you wake up and go to class at 9 a.m and you're in class until six and all you do is different kinds of fight stuff and in those three weeks you get 30 hours in three different disciplines so it's a, it's a difference between whether you're learning it this much of time or this much of time and you know maybe you'd be great at it maybe you take to it like a fish to water and then your timetable moves up maybe you need a little bit more work so your timetable moves back a little bit like everything else about the theater it's subjective and it depends but six months a year I, before going out okay. on your own doing something so this is me talking from the admin end of things because uh, you're the artistic director. I'm the executive director. <laughs> so I plan the school year. Um, here's the thing. So there are eight different disciplines. So let's say if we were to manage things in that we teach four disciplines. Well, actually, no, if we're looking into quarterly Hang on. I got to do math for a second. I'm doing sword girl math, not just girl math, but sword girl math. Um, it's very specific. It's, it's very specific. So 30 hours of in-person learning are required to take the skills proficiency test under the SAFD under a discipline. There are eight different disciplines. So 30 times eight. Cool. Um, and then you take the SPTs and then I, and Oliver, correct me on this. Um, I think it's four disciplines that need to be mastered in order to be designated actor combatant. Well, it's only three and I wouldn't say mastered. I would say proficient. Proficient. There we go. So, okay. So that in and of itself, 
is nearly a hundred hours is yeah. 90 hours about um so that is at least 90 hours to become an actor combatant and from there like i feel like it kind of branches off a little bit i mean a the first key is try to develop proficiency in all eight different disciplines. So there's unarmed, there is single sword, there's small sword, there is rapier and dagger, there is sword and shield, there is, help me out, I'm not braining too good. <laughs> Broadsword, broad quarterstaff, and knife are the other uh, three. And also theatrical firearms. Yeah, the, firearms is firearms is a side discipline. It's not part of the big eight, but it's a whole it's this whole other thing that okay. we're that we're that that you can it's a it's a lateral kind of course. But like really kind of important to know. Oh sure. Especially, especially but it's, in America. But it's one of those things where like if you don't know how to do something, you're not gonna say, I know how to do that. Like so if you think to become an actor combatant takes at least ninety hours. So if you think two hours a week, that's a year, right? 50, 52 weeks in a year, take Christmas and New Year's off. There's there's 100 hours. So a year to become a actor combatant if you're learning once a week. If you're learning 10 hours a day, takes about a month. But it's also like one of those things that like, it's like learning a language, right? You can learn everything about a language in a week and a half except how much of that is going to stick. It's the same it's the same kind of thing. Like it's you, you need you need to take you need to take it at the time you need to let it sit in your body. You need to you need to form those reflexes, right? You need to be able to look at you need to be able to look at things with a critical eye. So, yeah. And then hopefully you've built out enough connections through taking your courses and working with people that you you don't just like show up at a movie studio lot with two different swords and be like, I could use these. Well, no, <laughs> like that's getting into getting like film is film is a completely different animal because, again, they're under the umbrella of stunts. Right. So you got to get in with the stunt union. You've got to know people in that world and you then work from that. But if if you come start taking my classes right the easiest way to start doing stuff on your own you start come start taking my classes then keep hanging out for a while and after you hung, hang out for a while learning more stuff taking more stuff doing more stuff me as the teacher will be like oh colton's hanging around a lot he he really enjoys this he's a keener he likes doing it um hmm, i'm doing this thing i could use a hand on it hey you want to come help me out and then if you want to come help me out, oh, yeah, okay. And then you come help me out. It's like, and then we're there on the thing, doing the thing. And I'll be like, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. Great, 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 cool. How was that? Did you enjoy coming and hanging out? Oh, yeah, I like, I liked hanging out. It's like, did you know why I did it kind of like this? It's like, oh, I think that you did it like this because of this reason. That's exactly why I did it like that. Yeah. So you want to come hang out and do another thing? Oh, yeah, 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 great. And that's, it's, it's like, it's, it's the old, you get an apprenticeship. Then you, then you become a journey. It's that kind of that kind of feel like yeah it's, it's... Oh, sorry i didn't mean to interrupt yeah, um good. but the the way that um we have our board set up is you know we have our senior demo assistants um steve millie and melody at this point who have just been with us for years and are like very on the fast track towards becoming instructors themselves and it's like yo whenever you get certified just come hang out let's make a, a fencing sow um, and you know uh, the the same historic regard as a uh, french fencing sows um 
But then one thing that we have been working on since about 2019, 2020 is our scholarship and work study programs. So whenever we see a student that has been with us for a while that exhibits prowess and interest and enthusiasm, we have um, a couple of options. Um, we do have what I've been calling the Donald McBain <laughs> work study program. Um, Oliver can definitely talk about Donald McBain and all of his ridiculousness. Um, but the work study program is folks that's like, these folks are very hands-on when it comes to their learning. We don't give them an opportunity. We're going to, you know, we, we really want to help them out. And then uh, we have two scholarships. One is named in honor of the Chevalier de Saint-Georges and the Chevalier de Aon. And Oliver, I'm going to give you the floor to talk about how cool <laughs> the Chevalier de Saint-Georges and the Chevalier de Aon is, because... I know who I am as a person and I'm going to get very emotional in the fact that they were friends and they make me so happy because they represent the demographic of folks that we really want to bring into Argent Combat. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not I wouldn't say a demographic of folks we want to bring in, a demographic of folks that have historically been underserved. Um uh they're both French. And we want to serve them more. And we want to serve them more. Yeah. Um Saint-Georges uh is there was just a movie about him that came out this year. Cheval Chevalier is the movie about Saint-Georges. Um he was uh a a gentleman of African descent. His uh, mother was a uh slave on Saint-Dominique, which is uh Haiti. Uh and his father was, you know, a, a rich French aristocrat who brought him to uh, France and he was educated and he was the premier the premier fencer of his age he was also a savant violinist he was a composer and a pianist and wrote opera and wrote lots of stuff he was Marie Antoinette's piano instructor for a while there um, and he was just a very cool guy uh, he once the revolution happened he uh, he joined the revolutionary army he was he was he had his own battalion that were affectionately referred to as saint george's dragons because saint george the the english saint very famous for fighting a dragon so it was a, a wonderful gag uh and then deon was a a member of the the the, the roi secret which is you know the deon was a spy right a spy in the employ of the french crown um and once deon got out of the the spying game because of various things uh, came back to Paris and was like, oh, you know, I've been a woman this whole time, you you idiots who thought I was a guy. And they were like, quoi? And Dayon's like, yes, I'm a woman. I've always been a woman. Isn't that great? And and, and they're like, all right, all right, fine. But you have to dress as a woman and live like a woman. And Dayon was like, great, because that's, that's who I am. So um, these days, you know, we don't have the language. Dayon didn't have the language at that time the way we have the language now to talk about, you know, transness, non-binariness, you know, that. So how how Dayon would identify today uh, is is a question of of interesting of an interesting nature, but definitely not cis at that time. Uh, Dayon's in in the uh, in the autobiography that Dayon wrote in in French, in French, in the language, there are ways you refer to yourself when talking um when when you use words in reference to yourself you can use them as male or as female a lot of stuff in french has it's a that it has a gendered language and deon uses both interchangeably over the course of the of uh the autobiography so biologically male lived as a woman for more than 40 years because after getting out of the 
uh, and get, after getting out of Le Roy Seclet, was like, I've been a woman, you fools, haha. Oh, you have to live like a woman and dress like a woman. So did. And that and but you know, how how they would identify is great. But it's it's the important bit is like a person who is uh either either trans or non-binary or somewhere on the spectrum there, and you know, a a black son of a Haitian and and a white French aristocrat, two of the greatest fencers in the the pre-revolutionary and post-revolutionary period. That's pretty rad. That's pretty interesting and not talked about. And also uh, the fact that they were friends. Yeah, there's pals. There's a very famous <laughs> woodcut of the two of them fencing. Dion was a little bit older than Saint Georges, but um, I think it was they were friends with um the so oh god, this is getting into the weeds. But um there's a book called The School of Arms. It was written by a guy named Domenico Angelo. It's the first book that's like, hey, fencing is good exercise. Fencing as a sport de- descends from Angelo's book, right? It's it's good for you. It's good exercise. You should fence. And he was brought to England. He was Italian, obviously, a guy named Domenico Angelo. His education was French, and he was in England. He was he was in London. He was the Prince of Wales dressage instructor. Dressage is like fancy horse stuff. But then they found out how good of a fencer he was, and the king was like, "You should probably teach him how to fight too." While 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 you're here, and then he wrote his book. And uh, his son Henry Angelo was good friends with Saint Georges. And at one point, Saint-Georges and Dayan had a fencing match, and the Prince of Wales is in the audience. It's a very famous woodcut, and and it's 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 a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful story. Uh, and we really like to, like, big ups, big ups to Saint-Georges and Dayan, because they are interesting historical figures whose atypical nature, shall we say, who's, who's not regular European. They're not like, white I, straight I, boys. Uh, there's a... a, a Saint George's music, a lot of his music was buried when Napoleon came to power intentionally because uh, thanks Napoleon, but and it's is being recovered lately. The way you recover all the weird stuff from Europe that kind of just gets lost and comes back. So cool 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 people, interesting people, incredible sword fighters and uh from communities that even today are underserved because for prime like un- it's it's a lot it's a it's a lot better now but even when i started it was it it was a it was a white guy thing to be a sword fighter because oh to cast a woman as hamlet why would we do to cast to cast somebody not white as hamlet we're not going to do that like come 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 on and it's like come on come on so you're going to miss out on everything cool and die mad about it (laughs) like so so one of one of the things that we like to do is is try to better serve underserved communities and to to get more people involved from from people who don't look like me, people who are not married to a a, a person of the opposite gender, people who are not stark white. Because <laughs> on some days I can be very translucent under the under the right lighting. So I'm not like I don't I don't want to speak for other communities, but I want to be available to teach them how to sword fight because that's the thing I know how to do. And historically, it is a it is there are communities that are underserved, so serving those communities is is a primary thing we like to do. Yeah. Well, we don't just serve them; we seek to take a step back and amplify them. Um, one of the things we do is celebrating Chevalier Day every April fourteenth to celebrate the Chevalier de Saint Georges and the Chevalier de Aon. And I think we 
one of the things that makes us stick out a lot as an organization is that we are very loudly vocal <laughs> about all of our opinions and we don't feel bad about that. So why don't you step on the cool boat right now and, um, you know, maybe we'll teach you some sword fighting. <laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> like, kind of what it comes to. <laughs> you're like, not only historically is it not just white dude sword fighting, but also like doesn't have to keep being that image like it could be anything like the next the next generation of the greatest sword fighters could be literally anyone of any yeah. creed or background yeah, yeah and and this is me speaking as you know a, a femme presenting person who's non-binary and queer um but you know married a dude um so good for me um he turned up whitest dude in the world (laughs) but he wound up being my favorite out of everybody so like that in and of itself is a testament to you know gender identity and attraction or are things that we can't decide it's just i fell in love with you you're my person and i have no regrets but you know it's it's definitely a thing where like Sorry, I, I'm so sorry. I hope that wasn't like too much. I, I, I'm very in love with my husband. Um, and he's right there and he's on the Zoom call. And okay, great. But yeah, you know, it's it's a thing where we're talking about this visceral activity and catharsis that everybody can experience. And we seek to amplify the folks that have very minimal representation in the media within our field. So it's a thing where it's like, yeah, you know what we're going to do? We are going to listen to them. We're going to take a step back. We're going to let them let us know what they need. And we're going to see what we can do to facilitate that. And that's the thing that I'm really proud about. Or at least, you know, I, it makes me very heartfelt within our organization that like we, we want to make sure that those folks have the support and autonomy agency consent, those big three that we always support and that I, I feel that we, we really reflect that in our mission in not just what we do, but who we are as an organization. Sorry, I'm struggling to articulate because I'm just like, yeah, my heart's exploding. Cause I, I really love everybody. Um, so it's, it's just really cool to see that happen. And we're starting to see that, that paradigm shift within our industry, which is really wonderful. Um, as of a survey that we took just two years ago, the statistic minority of our student demographic were white, cisgender, hetero, masculine identifying folk. Everybody else is all over that spectrum. So I'm just, I'm so excited for this beautiful, colorful tapestry that we have right now. And just seeing like, how wild we can get with that, how cool and vibrant we can get with that. That's really kind of a huge thing for me personally. But uh, yeah, anyway, um, talking about tapestries, uh, I feel like I was kind of weaving a thread there and uh, I started to fray at the ends because I, I just my feelings got really loud. So <laughs> I'm going to stop. I love everybody. I'm so excited. <laughs> if you want to sword fight with us, come sword fight with us. We got yeah. you. <laughs> I think that's great. And to say like, you know, we are one of this, like, you know, the extreme, extremely small amount of people that are like certified and trained and, you know, host your own school. And like, you have such an open policy and such a like welcoming attitude to just say like, we will take 
anyone that wants to learn that has a passion for what we're doing because that's what we have. Like we have a passion for what we do and we want to share that and like get more people into it. And also like who doesn't want to know how to sword fight? <laughs> it's cool. Like it's there's there's that third pillar. It looks cool to sword fight. It's uh I got I got into the business uh when I was in college, uh before your junior year, you kind of have you have to audition again for the program. It's like juries if in a conservatory setting. Um and they were like, eh, you're not we don't it's not great. Go take some speech. Go take some movement. Come come back next semester and see where you are. And at the end of movement class, somebody gave me a sword, and all, like all of a sudden things clicked because your your motivation is really clear when you got a point in your hand, and it's just like that's just the way that my art works now, and it's fun because I mean I grew up watching sword fighting movies. I grew up like thinking about like I, I was I was I was right at that perfect age where you know. You know, I was real young when Ninja Turtles got real big and it's like, oh, OK, here's here's some cool stuff. And it's just like I went from one thing to another thing to another thing to another thing. And then I'm in college and I'm learning how to act and I want to be a performer and like, oh, a sword. Oh, this makes sense. Oh, I'm good at it. Oh, I can. Oh, this is good. And, and, and lo and behold, here we are now. And it's a career. Yeah. And I I kind of came from the not necessarily opposite camp, but I I got injured. I injured a friend. I don't want to do that ever again. How do I not do that again? Ian, Ian, help. <laughs> so I took Ian's classes and met Oliver through those. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's really interesting coming from a perspective of, I was very classically trained in dance and also opera, hilariously enough, um, even though I don't really sing all that much anymore. And, you know, though those very I don't even want to say western classical because classical is just like I I don't know there there's something about that that seems very there are things that pre-age Shakespeare okay <laughs> so I was very much in those uh, I guess we'll say capital R romantic art fields and um I took up a sword and I was like okay this is the tool I can use to not harm anybody ever again so it's it's really kind of a fascinating, I don't want to say a dichotomy, but like that confab kind of thing that both Oliver and I tend to have. Um, it's weird saying Oliver out loud because you're right there and you're my husband <laughs> on this Zoom call. <laughs> it's just that we're in different rooms in our, in our house. <laughs> like, you know, the Sorry. guy over there in the different box. <laughs> yeah, that guy over there that has a ring that matches mine. Um, <laughs> Happy anniversary. <laughs> In another couple of weeks, but happy anniversary. I love it. Um, but I mean, obviously, like, you're both seasoned professionals at this point, right? I know that's weird to say, right? It's like, it's like realizing you're an adult. <laughs> yeah, like I'm, I'm 33 turning 34 in exactly nine days of recording this. Um, and I still feel very much like a high schooler. Um, so it's weird to be like, oh no, I'm a grown up. I, I paid taxes. I'm married. Oh God. I, well, I'm happy about the married part because he's cool. <laughs> he's on this call right now, but I will tell him personally and individually and in secret he's cool. Um, I'm just like, oh God, I am a grown up. Yeah. Oh God. It, it's so weird. Uh, just looking at 
myself as a child and looking at people about my age when I was a child and like, you totally have everything together. You're a grown up and I trust you. <laughs> and I look at myself and I'm like, I mean, if there was a ball pit, I would absolutely, well, I, I maybe wouldn't absolutely jump into it. Like I, I'd probably like put myself in a hazmat suit before I jump into that. Cause <laughs> a private ball pit. A, a, uh, a discreet ball pit. Um, a discreet ball pit that is sanitized. Yeah. Yeah, I, so, yeah. I frequently say things like, help, I need an adult. And then followed by, oh, no, I am an adult. <laughs> but I mean, when you when you share like your profession with people and you tell people like, yeah, I run a stage combat school and we teach people to sword fight and, you know, how to how to do all these things. Do you get a lot of people who are like, oh, so what do you do for like your adult behavior? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. The actually um, as performers, the number one thing that people do when they find out you're a performer is tell you the last thing they performed in, whether it was like a grade school pageant or a high school play, or if they did some stuff in co- that number one thing. Oh yeah, I'm I'm in. I work in the theater. It's like oh yeah, I I acted in a thing. Like and it's that it's that and I think it's one of those things that everybody likes to play pretend. So it's mm-hmm. we all have we all, we all have that in common, and some of us just never stop doing it. Um, but yeah, yeah, like when it's when it's like oh i'm a sword fighter I, I i work in the theater and i choreograph violence you know the way a, a, the way a, when you go to the ballet you see somebody dancing somebody choreograph that dance that's what i do it's that they have swords I'm like oh that's a job it's like yeah yeah it is it is a job i do other stuff too but yeah like it's a job that exists <laughs> you're yeah, like not only is it a um... job it's my favorite thing <laughs> <laughs> the the people the people that ask what you do to pay your rent are other people in the theater like oh okay oh you oh you're the you're the fight director what else do you do do you like you know you're you're busting tables or or slinging coffee and it's like no no you know it's just like it's it's a rare person that can earn their living as a fight director and nothing else just like it's a rare person that works in the theater and nothing else so yeah i me personally speaking because i do juggle a couple of jobs um and many of them are like very much within my niche and aesthetic um when i'm not doing sword fighty administration i'm doing neo-gothic 200 year old church administration which on an ivy league campus was just like super cool good for me i I love that for me i love being the bat in the belfry that is very cool i do ring the bells (laughs) on tuesdays and sundays that is very very i love that for me um it's it's super cool but uh yeah a lot of folks are like oh so you know what what do you do and i tell them like yeah you know my primary job is within theater and they're like oh well you know i did theater blah 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 and it didn't really work out for me um but you know like i totally get it let me give you some advice i'm like oh no um a that's unsolicited thank you very much um save your breath and i do being the goth eldritch type of person that i am i do lean into the i know horrors beyond your reasoning when it comes to my profession (laughs) try me (laughs) and i say that with love um and then they stop and uh you know that that works out for me pretty well (laughs) yeah like i'm sorry that your foray as strawberry number five in your uh second grade 
school play about nutrition didn't work out for you. I'm sure you were prolific. I'm sure you were iconic. I, um, I'm doing that, but I'm doing it with more feeling and intensity and to pay rent. So we're not quite on the same level, but I respect your journey. I honor it. Yeah, um, and it's thank like, you so like, much. Like I said, it's, it's a thing that we all like to play pretend at some point in our life. And when it, somebody's like, "Oh, I'm I I play pretend I play pretend professionally," oh, how can I best relate to that person? Let me tell them about the time that I liked to play pretend too. Great, great, we love it. We love to hear it because it's a thing we all have in common. Oh yeah, I'm I'm sorry. I totally didn't mean to be like super nego. Like, if you're a person that wants to explore theater, um take a class with us, go join your local community theater. Cause that's wonderful. You know, it is, um, I mean, it's called community theater for a reason. It acclimates community. It engenders more theater goers, especially around the East coast. That's, that's a wonderful thing. Um, and it's all live and it's all passionate and visceral and within the moment. And, um, you know, it takes a lot of bravery. I, I feel like stage fright comes from a sense of not a fear of public speaking, as it says, you know, um, but a fear of vulnerability because you are going out there with a sense of vulnerability. And that goes with community theater, public speaking, teaching, um, absolute empathy towards all those folks that are within these professions. Yeah, it's it's important. Pub, public speaking, public speaking is 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 rated higher as a higher fear than death for a lot of people. And, and spiders standing up and talking, which like it's and you know it takes takes some pizzazz to get up in front of a group of people and pretend to be somebody and try try your best to show them what the world is like from somebody else's perspective. So, yeah. Oh, I I mean I I think overall a, a sense of generosity. Um, because it is overall a very horrific thing to do and a very vulnerable thing to do. But you want to give folks that story and you recognize yourself as a vestal. So it, it, it comes from a sense of humility and just a, a commitment to the story that is being told. And that's just like a whole different realm um, in my mind. I, I don't know. Um, I'm trying to articulate. I, I feel like I'm not. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's a terrifying thing to go out there and tell a story, even if you're very passionate about that story. Uh, so encouraging all folks, no matter what it is you're doing, just go out there and do the thing. I, I got your back. I don't know. <laughs> There's that. <laughs> One, and giving things like a second chance because my time as goat number two was not very fruitful for my life experience. I didn't really retain a lot of uh, knowledge from that. However, I then went back like to get better at public speaking. I took an acting class with no premise of like actually acting. But I'm like, hey, if you know people who stand up there and speak in front of people very performatively, like they're definitely going to be the people who can tell me how to speak in front of people professionally. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Well, I mean, Oliver, you, you taught a, an acting class for non-majors. Like what, do you want to talk about that or 
yeah it's you know it is a very thing where it's like i want to i i need to be able to talk in front of people like all all acting is at the end of the day is forming an emotional connection with a fictional person and conveying that emotional connection to somebody watching you because like 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 i like i said it's it, things should look cool it's, you know my big tenant number three because if nobody's watching you do stuff what's the point like it's, it's only your relationship with the audience is the is the thing that's the most important and getting um you know like it's it's one of those things that like you know getting a little bit of an education in it is like you don't have to dive deep into you know like the very classical teachers or anything but it's like oh here's a bunch of words in an order that i can say in a natural way as though these are the thoughts that i'm having you know like i'm sure you've heard people give speeches who are very dry and very communicative of the information in that speech and they tell you exactly what is there without really getting to the point in any meaningful fashion or you 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 hear a speech where somebody looks at you and connects and has an emotional response and even you know when you're watching somebody through the digital medium that we all live in now it is an important thing to be able to talk to somebody on the other end of it right and i intentionally keep my camera way up there because i'm downstairs in our living room with the you know with my camera attached to the big monitor but it's it's it gives me it gives me that one little like i can i can be separate and just talk over here and just like oh you know ha, 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 i don't have to really connect all of the time every time we're working digitally together because that's the world that we live in now but it's a good skill to be able to have where you can just have a conversation with somebody and it's an honest conversation but you're pretending to be a fictional person so when you can when you can do that for a fictional person it's really easy to do with a script that you wrote because it's the things that you you yourself are actually trying to say so it's a it's a better connection to how do i get my point across to somebody in in as performers you talk about your needs and your doings and your actions and your objectives and your obstacles and your choices and it's like oh okay what what am i trying to do with this speech that i'm giving in public what am i trying to convey to people and how can i best connect with them to do that Sorry, I can't help but smirk because I can't help but think of Hamlet's speak the speech, I pray you as I pronounce it to you monologue, which is absolutely mansplaining. Yeah, the Prince of Denmark tells actors how to act. It's a very, it's a very funny joke. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh, 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 professional actors, come here. Let me tell you how to act. Oh, I should speak. I should say the words the way they're written. Oh, okay, Yeah. Thanks, Hamlet. That makes a lot of sense. I would never have known that as a professional actor. Uh, <laughs> thanks, bud. <laughs> Super helpful. Also, two plus two is four. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a wonderful thing about Shakespeare. All of his shows are full of very funny jokes that most people don't get because the reference is lost on them. Like that's a joke for the actors. Like you tell this this gom is telling actors how to act because he knows so much better than they do like that's a funny joke there's bits in in i mean it's it's kind of cliche to say that my favorite shakespeare show is romeo and juliet but i've done it a lot because there's a lot of fights in it so i've i've been involved with it many many times and every time i do it i love it more but at one point mercutio and benvolio and those guys are making fun of tybalt the you know the capulet guy and he gets called uh, the very butcher of a silk button because in Shakespeare's time, there were 
two big sword fighters in London. They're two big teachers of fence. Uh, and one of them's name was Rocco Benetti, and his nickname was the very butcher of a silk button because he could either, if you liked him, he could pick any of the buttons on your waistcoat and just flick it off. Or because if you didn't like him, if he tried to kill you, all he would do was cut your shirt open and he wouldn't actually be able to do anything. But he was a rapier man. He was a, a guy who fought with a rapier, which is a very continental weapon. It's a very like, more pokey, more long, more 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 refined kind of a thing. And it didn't sit well with the other big guy who worked at the time, whose name was George Silver, who trusted a good English broadsword over the continental rapier, right? And Tybalt getting called the very butcher of a silk button and the guy that calls him that, Mercutio, Mercutio, whose name is cognate with Mercury, which is another word for Quicksilver, George Silver's opinion of Rocco Benetti, it's a, it's a dumb sword fighters joke in one of the most famous plays ever written that I love that nobody gets except people who have been in this business for a long time. Yeah. So there is, there is some of those. I think it's Shakespeare that uses it. Um, but there, there are a couple of plays out there that have like very subtle things inside of them that you would never understand unless you knew the history of it. Like somebody introduced me to the phrase to quote goats. And I was like, I don't like, it's a weird line in the middle of this play. What is to quote goats? And then they just leave. Like, well, why are they not quoting? And they're talking about like a historical figure that lived you know, way back in the day and a very famous thing that he said that was very insulting, but like bleeds back in. Like there's a lot to learn. Like if yeah. you really want to appreciate some of these performances. Yeah. That's a, that's a thing about 400 plus year old scripts. It's like things that are very funny are just lost because the, because the reference doesn't survive. So how, how does the like backstage work when you're, you're combining like all of the, you know, the, the sword nerds combined with the acting nerds combined with the people who don't know why they're here. Everybody's got their own shtick. Everybody's got their own thing that they like. And everybody thinks their own shtick is the best. There's an old expression when everything looks like a, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. But uh, the, the more phonic version of the expression is that when all you have is a stick, everything looks like a kneecap. So I, I, I look at everything through the lens of, okay, well, why aren't you punching him right now? Like, what, wait, how can we put more violence into this kind of stuff? And most of the time you have to, like, pull back and be like, no, no, this is this is a scene that's supposed to be, like, a between, you know, a, a mom and her son. And if she threw him down a flight of stairs, that's probably not going to go well. So you have to take a step back and be like, how did, because that's, that's one of the things about being a fight director. Like one of the things about being a fight nerd is I always want to put more stuff in. I always want to go bigger. I always want to go dumber. I always want to go more fun. But when you're the fight director, you have to serve the show, right? You have to like, you're part of the team that's creating this thing. It's the director's idea. The actors bring the, what the actors work to it. The other designers, build the sets, build the lights, build the costumes, build the wigs. I just, um, uh, we opened a show that I worked on uh, last night. They had their opening day is the, the, the mystery of Irma Vep. And it's, it's two actors playing eight different characters. So there's like 45 quick changes backstage as they just run off and come on back as somebody else. And they have, they, the, and the, the show has one person, one person who's in charge of the wigs because there's a lot of wigs and they all got to look right. So 
we're all working together to get the director's idea of what they want the thing to look like. But the, it's the director has their idea, but the director can't tell the actors exactly what to do at every time. The actors bring their own stuff to it. And everybody brings their own experience. And it's like, oh, I know 17 different ways for you to fall down. Which one is the funniest? Let's do it like that. Oh, that doesn't actually work for you. Okay, this is another way I know how to fall down. It'll look just as funny, but it works better on your body. Let's do that. Great. So it's a really, it's a really collaborative, collaborative thing. And also yeah. like, hey, maybe the knife fight scene shouldn't take place over family breakfast. You're well, like, I mean, it, it doesn't place. not have to take place over family breakfast. Yeah, it depends. <laughs> depends on the playwright. Sometimes it does. <laughs> We're talking Durang. Yeah, it's probably going to take place over brunch. <laughs> um. Yeah, but again, it's, you know, we're working in a collaborative art form. Where, and like one of, the, one of the most important things you can do in performance in general and stage combat in particular is taking care of your partner. Making sure the people you're working with are in good places because they're going to do the same thing for you. And it's not, nobody wants to see everybody doing a monologue on stage. Monologues are great, but when two people are in a scene, each monologuing at each other doesn't 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 work so good, and that's one of the big things. Um, one of the big things is when you when you, we put a fight together. When I'm teaching students, one of the things that they have to get over is the desire to win, right? Because you know we we do a thing we're we're doing we're we're doing some work. You're trying to convey an idea, and it's like you. I still want to. Oh, I want to get you. I, I want to get you. I want to. Yeah, this is this is great. I'm gonna win. It's like nah, like. We're telling a good story and you happen to lose this time. So yeah, you'll have your moments of like, ha 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 ha. And then you get stabbed and then you die. And also dying rules actually like on stage. Dying is a super fun thing to do. It's, it's great. So enjoy it, savor it, let it, let, let all the fun stuff drip, drip off your tongue and, uh, and just, just in, enjoy it and take care of your partner because they're going to take care of you. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great, a great thing to kind of leave people with is like, you know, in everything that we have talked about today, there is so much caring for each other, you know, like your partner in the scene, your care of each other's health, the things that you do to like further your art. Like, it's just, I mean, it's all so good. But, you know, I was hoping you know, before we get too far out here to make sure everyone knows where they can find Argent Combat if they're looking for more of you. Oh, easily. It's ArgentCombat.com. That'll take you to everything that we do. Uh, if you're in the Philadelphia environs, come on out, hang out. If it's a thing that you want to do, if it's just a thing you want to talk about, you can hit us up uh, on the emails, which you can find on AudreyCombat.com. We're on the face page. We're on the Instas. We're on uh, many of the many of the various things. So it's just A-R-G-E-N-T-C-O-M-B-A-T. Fantastic. And it's a great name. The moment I saw it, I was oh, like, thanks. ooh, nice. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of it's an a, inside joke between very, us. <laughs> it's a very dumb joke that only makes that again only makes sense if you get the references. Because if you look it up historically, um the the my my last name is Donahue, right? And the historically the Donahue family coat of arms is you have uh it's a green field with two white foxes that are rearing up facing each other. Uh, and it's uh, the way that you say that heraldically is vert two foxes, Argent combatant. And it's like, Oh, we're going to snip and we're going to snip. And that's where we're going to go. Yeah. We, we do have a 
hold all Donahue crest. <laughs> yeah, it's a little, <laughs> a little mashup, but the two white foxes are on there too. So, and it's and also you know, a crow for my Scandinavian sen- <laughs> sensitivities. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have appreciated immensely the amount of time that you two have given me, and like just the fun hangout that we've had today, along with all the information. So, thank you again for being here. Oh, absolutely. It's always good to hang out. And, uh, thanks yeah. for having us on. Um, I'm, sh- I'm sure we'll talk again before too long, one, yeah. one, one way or another. But it was uh, it was really fun. So we appreciate it a lot having us on. Yeah, I'll be up front. I'm just like, oh, we're going on two hours. I know we plan to hang out for an hour. And then I remember like, oh, right. This is for a podcast. Um, <laughs> like there was some part of my brain that turned off it's like oh yeah we're just hanging out i'm like oh no 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 we gotta keep the time so... <laughs> i know i'll have to i'll have to find a way to to finagle you two back and we'll talk about the entire other subcategories of things we've talked about for, oh great <laughs> oh heck time. yeah <laughs> let's, let's just put some lists together and we'll we'll go through it and be great yeah we're like this is sweeps week tomorrow we're talking about small swords and the next day we're gonna talk about yeah, you know? yeah we'll we'll do it we'll do a deep dive on donald mcbain and all the fun things that he did oh, also his last name is mcbain so that's pretty rad yeah. just to start with <laughs> there's an a wee doggy there <laughs> Maybe doggy behind you. If any, if any, if you're ever in a sword fight, and the and the guy you're fighting says, "Hey, look out behind you. There's a little dog. Don't look. There's there's not there's no dog. There's no dog, but there is a history nerd." Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, thank you again. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I know this was a long one, but honestly, I just had fun hanging out with these two incredible people. I hope you all enjoyed that as well. I also think there's something almost ironic about picking up a weapon to reassure yourself that you'll not do harm again. It's almost poetic, and in this case, fittingly French. Anyway, the October rankings as of now. Number one, the United States, led by Washington, Ohio, and New York. Number two, the United Kingdom, with England now firmly at the top. Number three, Australia, led back to the top three by New South Wales. Number four, Canada, with Alberta just barely edging out Ontario. And number five, Bulgaria, still hanging in there with the top five for now. That's it for this week. Have a great weekend, and I'll see you all back here for the next episode. And hopefully by then I'm not quite so ill. Until the next episode, please do all those things that help the show, like rating, reviewing, liking, and subscribing. Remember, you can reach out to dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com or on any of the social medias if you want to reach me personally. But most importantly, stay dumb.